Welcome to the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Surgery Podcast, a curated series of interviews and discussions highlighting the three shields of orthopedic surgery at Mayo Clinic, clinical practice, research, and education. Welcome back to the Mayo Clinic Orthopedic Surgery Podcast. I'm your host, John Barlow, and I'm excited to welcome today Dr. Matt Abdel. He's a professor of orthopedic surgery and one of our hip and knee reconstruction specialists, does a very high volume of uh, hip revision surgery, which is our topic today. We're going to talk a little bit more about the general category, modular fluted tapered stems for femoral revision. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. Thanks for having me, John, and thanks for the warm welcome. This is an exciting area that's really revolutionized femoral vision and hip arthroplasty over really the last two decades, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting because I think um, there was still, uh, even when I was a resident, you were a resident just uh, shortly before me, but there were still discussions about uh, where these modular fluted uh, fluted tapered stems would uh, evolve to and uh, if they were going to hold up over time. And now it just seems like it's an absolute workhorse. So um, it'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be interested to learn a little bit about what you've learned yeah. about it as a, as a shoulder surgeon who occasionally uses similar stems. It'll be interesting to hear about the hip data. Yeah, totally. Can you talk about some of the reasons why femoral revision is done in, in 2020? What are the main reasons and particularly when you'd uh, consider a modular fluted tapered stem? Yeah, so um, I mean, modular fluid tapered stem, as you alluded to, uh, are the workhorse in 2020 for revision hip arthroplasty. And uh, that's borne out based upon most long-term series showing excellent survivorship pre aseptic loosening and the ability for these stems to allow us to control hip center rotation, limb length, offset, and version. So um, I use them in, um, in all revisions I need to do anything on the femur. So I utilize them in paraprostatic fractures, B2s and B3s. In essence, we now treat them the same because they're both modular fluted tapered stems. I use them if I'm doing a two-stage exchange arthroplasty. It's a stem I do when I come back in at the implantation. It gives me good diaphyseal fixation uh, that's uncemented and canals are often compromised. I utilize them instead of proximal femoral replacements now. So if a patient needs a proximal femoral replacement for oncologic reconstruction or catastrophic lysis proximally, I'll utilize that instead of a cemented proximal femoral replacement. Cases of aseptic loosening, I need diaphyseal fixation. So it's really um, any case that needs a femoral revision is going to get a modular fluid tapered for me in my hands. In deference, per- particularly to the, the previous generation of hip surgeons who use lots of different constructs, uh, can you talk a little bit about the historical, let's say, uh, the cemented stems and cemented long stems, and then even the cylindrical stems that were that were so common in some of our uh, amazing uh, predecessors, Dr. Cabanella, Dr. Uh, Barry, who continues to practice, but um, that that they used. Yeah, so you know, traditionally um, we utilize cemented stems, but that's really historical now because the polished canal and revision scenario uh, led to poor survivorship because the cement can injure interdigitated sclerotic canal. And then we moved to different things such as impaction grafting, which is much more popular in Europe, but less popular here because it's very technique dependent. APCs, which are, we still use, but they're really salvage. And then we finally got into the world of uncemented stems. And the workhorse really was the extensively coated pore stem that was diaphyseal engaging. But that stem was technically difficult to put in, unreliable in where it sat. Sometimes it sit too distal, sometimes it sit too proud and the risk of fracture with that long scratch fit. 
And really these modular tapered stems came on the market and gave you diaphyseal fit and it has axial rotational stability. You get axial, this taper, and you get rotational because it's fluted. That's why we call it what it is, fluted tapered. And that's really the win in these particular stems. And since it's modular, you can build up proximal bodies for length. You can build them for offset. And since it's modular, you can set your version wherever you want. And so uh, all those three features, flutes, the taper, and modularity proximally, have just largely replaced all other techniques in revision, hip arthroplasty, and femoral side. Yeah, I remember in residency, uh, the tail end of some of the cylindrical stems and uh, it's really a testament to the um, extreme skill level, no offense to modern surgeons of, of uh, the, the group that really got really good at those cylindrical stems because getting that to stop just at the right level. And um, particularly for me as a shoulder surgeon who never really has to mallet that hard, uh, really giving it a go and getting that to stick and not subside is, yeah. is remarkable. That's right. what, are, what are some of the advantages of modular fluted taper stems and one of the other things that I hear about as a, as a shoulder surgeon, but I hear about in the hip world is uh, the, uh, the monoblock fluted tapered, uh, fluted tapered stems. Thoughts about those options? Yeah, so both are viable options. The fluted taper portion is the win here on both stems. I prefer the modular version for three main reasons. Number one, I can control everything. I can control hip center rotation, limb length version, offset. Number two, what if you need to come back and revise that patient? for aseptic reasons. So if the patient's dislocating, I can adjust the version, I can put more length on it, I can uh, make a bunch of adjustments for it, but I can also remove the proximal body if I need to do a acetabular revision for that patient. And then finally, periparasitic joint infection, which remains the uh, issue that plagues us in primary revision hip arthroplasty, I can remove that proximal body in a modular version. It gives me direct access to the distal aspect much simpler and that's why I prefer the module fluted tapered version of that particular step. Are there indications in which you use the monoblock or will you just, um, you have, you feel comfortable uh, now with the data moving forward with the modular fluted uh, tapered uh, variety? There's no question. I feel comfortable with the data. We got, you know, 20 year data. Now we've published our 15 year data at Mayo and over 500 patients. Uh, the question is when would you use a monoblock fluted tapered in reality, John, the indications for that are complex primaries. So they don't have a lot of bone loss. You don't want to go all the way distal at that particular length. So in a crow four dysplasia, for instance, a patient like that, or crow three, actually crow four, I'd probably use a different stem, but a crow three or other patients that have uh, their primary hips and they have version issues, I would consider the use of a monoblock fluted taper stem. Thoughts or concerns, and, or is it of historical interest of fractures at the modular junctions with the modern generation of stems? Yeah, so modular junctions, uh, fractures occur uh, regardless of the joint, whenever you have a modular junction. Remarkably, this has been a system globally, not just in one particular company, but multiple companies with modular fluid tape percent that has not been an area for junctional failure in regards to fracture or corrosion. It's just a, a case report here or there, but there are no series that I'm aware of with any implant design for any company with a modular fluid tape percent having that issue at that junction. Yeah, that's great. And obviously um, a big advance and gives you some comfort in terms of using that with the, yep. um, the modularity, giving you so much flexibility intraoperatively. What are your, some of your intraoperative thoughts or pearls about how to get this right? Let's go through maybe positioning, imaging, um, different things that you do in terms of 
cerclage cables and otherwise as you put in a, um, a modular fluted tapered stem? Yeah, so there are several tips and tricks. Number one, you've got to template these patients appropriately. Additionally, I want to look at my length and diameter of the fluted tapered portion and proximity. Make sure you're not the extremes of negative or positive in regards to length, offset, and virginal adjustment. Number two, expose the patients. I'm a strong believer when placing a modular fluted tapered stem of doing extended trochanteric osteotomy. So I could take varus, usually varus bows in the coronal plane or in the sagittal plane, anterior bows, take those out of play. So I've got a direct access to the canal. You do not want three-point fixation. You want this stem to fit directly into the diaphyseal canal. Number three, I'll put a prophylactic cable, one centimeter distal to the distal aspect of my ETO or at the thickest portion, if I'm not gonna have an ETO, where the fluted tapered portion of stem will land. Next, you have to ream and you have to ream to get out to that cortical bone. So this is not one that you wanna stop reaming, feel like it's good. I do it on power and I wanna make sure I'm getting a really tight ream and a really tight fit. Next, I do like to put a trial of the fluted tapered portion in and obtain intraoperative x-ray in two views. And it's simple with the fluted tapered portion of the stem in there. So I'll get an AP and then the hip, because I don't have the proximal body on, I just rotate it 90 degrees and get a lateral, make sure you're not coming out the front. That's the most common issue with the fluted tapered portion of the stem. And then finally, I'll put the real one in and I'll trial with proximal trials to make sure I like my limb length, my offset, my version, there's no impingement. And then you can put the real proximal body on there. So those kind of uh, real quick tips and tricks to do that, uh, place that stem safely. And um, it, it sounds to me, one of the things you mentioned is really getting that, uh, that um, fit right out to the is isthmus of the cortical bone. Is undersizing a concern here um, in terms of, do you want it to be right out to the cortices or up to the cortices or just when it feels like it stops, a pitch change? How do, how do you judge that? Really a white out? Yeah, I should have I highlighted that in the previous comment because that is the most important. You have to have actual rotational stability that is perfect and rigid at the time that you leave, leave the operating room. So you're going to want to be all the way out to the cortex. Those flutes are actually in the cortex. And if it's a millimeter or two undersized by feeling, you want to, I would like the last room is about to stop for me and I confirm it on x-ray. If I don't feel like I'm all the way out there, I will go two more reamers up, not one, but two. And that prophylactic cable should keep you safe, but you want to be all the way out there and you want to totally fill up that canal. And thoughts about uh, kinks or bows to the, um, to the stem, if that's necessary, if it's unnecessary with the, with the tapered portion distally? Yeah, it's, it's necessary. It's important. So different systems have different, different ones, and whether they have uh, a slight angle at a particular distance on the fluted tapered, or if there's an arc that's very gentle throughout them. Um, so there are different flavors on the market. Uh, they're important because, I, as I mentioned earlier, the number one risk is anterior perforation. So a couple of things I do. Number one, when I'm going longer than a standard length, which is 155 millimeters, I'm going 195 or anywhere in the 200s, I always utilize the bowed version. And you got to be smart in surgery, make sure you put it where that bow of the femur is. And number two, what I'll do is I'll actually burr anterior bone and raise my hand anterior so that I minimize that risk of anterior perforation. So those are the two things that can help help avoid any issue with that. That's really helpful. Another controversy that I understand is that there's a difference. So I'm going to hold you to this one, but thoughts about post-operative weight bearing. Let's say you got a cerclage cable on. It's a 
periprosthetic fracture, you got a circlage cable and you got a really nice uh, scratch fit and um, a perfectly sized stem uh, with an ETO, let's say. Are you going to let them weight bear on that afterwards or uh, partial? Uh, where do you go with that? Yeah, so I'll be honest with you. I'm super conservative with these patients. Even in the best case scenario, you just prescribe perfect fit, perfect x-ray, ETO perfectly closed, 12 weeks toe touch weight bearing. First six weeks in an abduction brace. Next six weeks, no abduction brace, but toe touch weight bearing. At three months, it's just a round number when I see them. If everything's stable, they get partial progressive weight bearing. Two weeks, 25%, two weeks, 50%, two weeks, 75%, and two weeks, 100%. That's super conservative, but these are high stakes cases that I cannot afford subsidence of that component or that ETO non-healing. Yeah, it sure seems like with those, um, between uh, subsidence just being important and important in terms of ingrowing later, it's also important for uh, stability of the hip. So gosh, if that starts to move, it sounds like uh, uh, you're in trouble. You've written a few um, uh, papers about this, particularly recently. Can you lay out where the data is now in terms of safety of these uh, components and frequency of use, some of those thoughts? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. We've looked at it in a large uh, paper in JBJS uh, American, looking at over 500 modular fluid tapered stems utilized in the aseptic revision setting. We've looked at these being used as oncologic salvage, so they had an oncologic construction that's failed. We've looked at it for Vancouver B2 and B3 periprosite fractures published in CORE. And so we've looked at it in these variety of settings. And if I were to summarize those three papers, which is approaching 1,000 patients, it works for a variety of indications with excellent 10 to 15 year data on survivorship free of aseptic loosening, minimal subsidence, and uh, good clinical outcomes in regards to Harris hip scores, primarily what we're looking at these series for all those different indications. So um, really remarkable data to be honest with you in some of the toughest scenarios that were typically had to take care of femoral bone loss and loss of femoral fixation. That's great. And obviously we've gone through a long um, iteration of long cemented stems, impaction grafting, cylindrical stems, now modular fluted tapered stems. Do you anticipate, and then uh, several generations of those, do you anticipate any uh, big changes that are coming or have we, do you think that we've got uh, this portion of hip and knee, hip arthroplasty particularly kind of figured out and it's going to be twe uh, smaller tweaks to make this easier for surgeons? Where are we going with this the next five or 10 years? The problem is you're talking to a hip arthroplasty surgeon, you're talking to orthopedic surgeons, so we're never satisfied. We're always going to want to innovate and, and do something new. The balance is, you're right, John, this is so remarkable in so many different pathologies, in so many surgeons' hands. It's reliable, reproducible. That, number one, we want to make sure we don't do something that's worse. Okay, And we've been on that path before, particularly in hip arthroplasty surgery. Uh, but the innovations that I do see in this area are smaller diameters, because right now it's limited in diameters. We want to think about different things we could do proximally in regards to offset. So you can utilize it in different scenarios. And then you start thinking about, are there different options that allow you to be more accurately utilizing a monoblock component as we discussed at the beginning of this and innovate. So there are still areas for innovation in this. It's just, we don't want to compromise the unbelievable, excellent long-term data we have in regards to fixation and longevity with it. Yeah, it's always unfortunate when you take a step back, trying to innovate and move forward. And um, I, I think we've certainly seen that in hip arthroplasty as well as several other areas of orthopedic surgery. Yep. So I'm, I'm going to sort of try and highlight it from a shoulder surgeon's perspective. And you can let me uh, let me know if I got it right and add any and we'll close with any final comments from you about about these stems. But it, it sounds like 
<clears throat> femoral revision is still here to stay, particularly periprosthetic fractures, but also in the setting of infection and reimplantation. And it sounds like uh, modular fluted tapered stems have really become the workhorse for you in terms of managing these problems, both because of the outstanding track record and longevity of them, but also the flexibility intraoperatively and even in the revision setting to be able to tweak and dial in different things. You also uh, indicated the, that it's, uh, it sounds like it's very technique dependent and particularly being systematic about how you place these in. And as opposed to, I know a lot of people who do total hips don't use intraoperative imaging. It sure sounds like using intraoperative imaging would, um, with these high stakes cases uh, would be uh, highly recommended uh, for uh, essentially all surgeons to make sure they get that, the sizing of it just right. But it sounds like if you get that right, um, you can uh, rely on this. And the former concerns about uh, junctions and, and uh, tapers um, uh, at the modular junctions are less and less concerning and that, that the longevity is good. And then, and then to close, it sounds like you also uh, should be thoughtful about the post-operative weight-bearing protocol, even if you get this stem just perfectly right, uh, maybe protecting them for a little bit longer, up to 12 weeks afterwards to ensure that that stem is fully ingrown and doesn't subside. Any other thoughts for the surgeons out there who do these uh, maybe um, medium or low volume surgeons who have to do it when they're on call on the weekends or, um, or even your high volume uh, partners in hip arthroplasty? Yeah, you've highlighted nicely, John, the main points. What I would say is utilize a prophylactic cable, make sure you have axial and rotational stability, axial on impaction, rotational with the flutes, and finally, utilize two views, AP and lateral, every time you put in a modular fluted tapered stem. See that entire distal extent, and you'll be very, very happy with your reconstruction for almost every indication on the femoral side. Really helpful. Thanks uh, again for joining us, Dr. Abdel, and uh, sharing your insights on these uh, uh, really challenging patients and challenging problems. Thanks very much, Dr. Barlow. It was a pleasure.